Welcome to After the Deluge, I'm Justin Cox. Album of the Year is the third full-length record by The Good Life. It came out on August 10th, 2004, and it is the 64th release on Saddle Creek Records. Pitchfork gave Album of the Year a big old 8.0. There's no byline on the write-up, but it is heaping with praise. Uh, They say that The Good Life is ditching a cure-informed bent on their previous two LPs for its own vision. Um, You can agree with that or disagree with that, but that's what they said. The review continues. The songs are instantly welcoming, flickering with enough hope and tenacity to outlast Casher's heartbreak. And then we get a little bit of like 2004 uh, emo context, which I think is a requirement for like a Saddle Creek record being written up on Pitchfork in 2004. Always fun for me to revisit, at least. The complaints with the album are worn in with old caveats, namely the emo tag. One might hear the hysterical strains of Ben Gibbard or Chris Caraba in Casher's reckless emoting, but remain calm and it will pass. The vibrant productions and transient lyricism will pull you through that knee-jerk response. Casher has turned his pissings and moanings into grand, translucent tales that typically avoid the isolation of self-indulgence. The Good Life is doing an Album of the Year tour later this summer. We talk about that very early in this conversation, just before we kick the After the Deluge machine back into um, 311 and Red Hot Chili Peppers mode, uh, which you don't want to miss. You'll hear me say it again in this conversation, but big thanks to Tim for being a part of this show, not only today, but on the first episode of the season and just generally supporting it. Uh, This conversation starts with Tim asking how the Connor interview went, and we jump in from there, and then we go everywhere. Drunk at the bar, at last, last call. My baby is home on her night on. So I'm involved in a serious tune with a girl. Yeah, how did it all turn out? Turned out really great, really fun. Just, just a perfect way to end the thing. But you want to talk about uh, sketchy internet? I think Connor and I both had really sketchy internet, and in the end, like put iPhones on the table and captured it on on separate iPhones. And then, but in the in the process of it, it was like a lot of like, I think he said this, and I'm just going to keep this conversation going. And it found it's it, it was really good and fun, but definitely some some tech stuff. So I notice uh, like the singer and band member uh, Jiha who sings on Inmates, if at the end of this Connor Oberst episode, there was like a, oh, I don't know how to send this iPhone file. I need to go ask Jiha. Are these two separate Jihas? No, that's the same Jiha. Same Jiha. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good uh, symmetry. But anyway, came through with with sending the file. Oh, good. Good. That makes sense too, because Connor is... Nothing if not a total luddite in with technology. So yeah, you could tell. You could tell he was like, I've used iPhone voice memos, like probably writing songs and everything, but not sure what to do with this hour and a half long one now on my computer. <laughs> how that's gonna work? But came through on it, and yeah, it was really fun, really cool way to to end it. Tim Casher, welcome to After the Deluge once again. I think we're gonna. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think we're gonna get this baby going. Um. So so. Album of the Year by The Good Life comes out in 2004. Um, yeah. We're going to go, I'm, I'm going to kind of go sink, sink all the way into that album. It's a really fun one to do that. But um, the the tour, what's this tour that's going to be happening? And what was, what was there an initial plan to do this earlier? And it got like 
pandemic killed yeah this was the this was my uh these good life dates are or i'll just say me personally for the different um projects that i have <clears throat> these are the dates that i had on the books in uh 2020 i don't even remember anymore i think it was you know like spring of 2020 maybe another one was in summer of 2020 um and there are other stuff i mean there were uh broader plans with cursive um and thursday doing um oh yeah Masticon, and but none of those were booked yet so it wasn't as big of a deal it was just kind of um we just kind of had set a pin and i don't know like it was like you know fall of 2020 or something like that uh but yeah so these good life dates the perform album of the year was the these were the only like real things that i had to cancel uh because of the pandemic so i voted i i, I kind of got out got off pretty easily mm -hmm. from the pandemic um but Jesus, it's like 2023 now. It definitely took, it took us a while to, so the good life, we're just kind of, you know, we're all good buds, but um, we also like life moved on for, for, uh, for the band. And it's been really hard to schedule. <laughs> yeah. Is your personality such that that tour had dates and gets wiped away? Is there sort of like a, I need to close this loop and do this tour now. And it's kind of hanging there or is it just sort of like, oh, this is life and we'll book that when we book it. Uh, I think that all of those answers are correct. Uh, <laughs> we certainly, I mean, I kind of clearly like we, yeah, it certainly had stayed on our mind um, that we had to fulfill those dates in a lot of the cities. We like, it's really is like ethically a matter of fulfillment. Cause I've definitely, as we've been putting these dates reposting these dates uh i don't know uh, the logistics of it but there's certainly still people out there who are holding on to um who bought good life tickets back Amazing. in uh, 2020 and i and I, I they should still be good I, <laughs> it did really it really depends on like the promoters and if they're doing their jobs the right way or not you know if people weren't um reimbursed for for those or like getting their money back then they should uh they should still be good i don't know yeah I mean, I hope so. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to laugh it off because I think that's kind of a serious thing, you know, like I know, let's see if I recall, I think that only happened for me for, um, had tickets for, uh, tropical fuck storm, um, that got, you know, canceled for the pandemic, but that was through, um, I don't know, I didn't bring this up because I don't think I'm going to remember it correctly, but I do kind of want to say that I think that I never got the money back, but I didn't care because it was also the pandemic and it was down here in LA. It was, um, you know, a company, a promotion company that I'm friends with. And I was just like, God, I'm sure that they don't need people like right. me being like, can I get that $25 back, please? You know I mean? They were Is it? doing, they were doing fundraising. So it's like, they were, they didn't, I don't So anyways, I don't really know what the hell's Is going it? on in the state of the tickets, but yeah, weird time. And yeah, it's really fucking bizarre that it's three years later right now. Um, all right. So as far as saying all those answers are right, is or all those queries are right? It's like, yeah, we definitely knew that we needed to do it, but we also are displaying that we weren't in a huge hurry to do it. But to be fair, man, these these this these dates really have been, I think, a labor of love is probably fair to say as far as the as far as setting it up because it was quite difficult for us to set up the initial dates for us to all settle on dates for 2020 can you say real uh, quick the dates that that this one will be just when this tour starts this good life tour uh, starts. it's yeah we start july 28th um, july 28th we play, we play wicker park festival in chicago will be the first show we'll play i think since 2016 
uh, and then we go, yeah, and then we go uh, west and uh, do um, a bunch of dates. And we have East Coast dates that we'll be announcing, um, I think, next week. So, which I don't know, today is, <laughs> hey, I don't even know what today, today's like June 15th or something I'm, like that. I'm going to try and, and be so on, I'm going to try and be on top of it and turn this one around pretty quickly. Okay, um, cool. All right. Well, we're uh, going to come back. We're going to, let's, let's go, we'll come back to the tour as we, as we round out, but um, let's go back. I'm, I'm going to go back even further than, than the good life in this record first, just because something that came up in the Connor Oberst interview was about your a high school band called March Hairs. Yeah. Um, which like there's, you kind of like you, you, you dig into these Saddle Creek records, early stuff and everything. You kind of end up in learning about all the bands that formed other bands and shared each other and everything. But that's pre that's, that's pre anything I was even actually aware of. So who was March Hairs, And then eventually take us to March Hairs opening for three eleven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks Connor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the March, the three eleven stories are, are good. And I, I, they're, they're so good that I swear I tell I tell them like I love to tell friends about it because it's like pretty wild. It's a pretty wild, you know, like high school story. Uh, but no, March Harris, people don't know much about March Harris and March Harris has stayed fairly um, buried. Uh, and I think that's kind of for the best. Uh, it's just uh, it was our first band and that by our I'll say it was um, like Matt McGinn and I and Matt and I've been doing cursive and we've we just been playing together our whole lives. Um, so, uh, you know, probably sophomores in high I was a sophomore in high school. He's probably a freshman. Um, and I was writing songs, you know, we were just new, we we're new musicians and I was, and I was writing songs, um, initially writing songs just out of a bit of curiosity to see if that's something I could do. And just, and also just in a curious, just a kind of desire to to create things. Uh, but then, you know, thankfully, um, emboldened by um, recognizing that there is like a, there a local community uh, music community. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that everybody has music communities, local music communities that can help inspire uh, the youth of today to uh, go out and write their own shit, you know? Um, but we, we had that in Omaha. So that was cool as hell. Uh, uh, my shares though was um i didn't i wrote all this it was just weird i mean truly kind of weird stuff um as far as like me like rearing this kind of like i don't know dominant kind of managerial head i suppose where i wrote the songs i wrote the lyrics to the songs but didn't feel the confidence of um singing them so i like we hired but you can't you don't really hire <laughs> fellow high school kids you know so we brought in a we brought in a friend um or somebody who became a friend um to he was a very good singer um his name is jim rubino um sadly he's passed away uh, a few years back um but so march hairs was uh was yeah it was our high school band and we did um uh we were pretty entrepreneurial entrepreneurial we would do Played the high school bonfire and the in the homecoming and proms and uh collected all and just saved up all that money to go into the studio to record um our own songs cool. uh and we played covers i think that's probably i should have mentioned that but it's also probably kind of fairly obvious if you're playing that's, kinda, that's a big part of like that learning how to write songs and stuff right is like simultaneously trying it and also playing covers is like you're 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 learning how a song is written basically it's not oh, just totally. listening it's like part of it absolutely and i think that whoever 
I think even like, yeah, who you're playing is like, that's probably kind of important too, as far as like, like you're learning, you know, so we were learning, we, you know, we were the old cool alternative, uh, alternative uh, covers band uh, by that saying that it was like pretty uh, actually it's a little all over the place. I was, I was going to say pretty broad. I've been mean, playing stuff like U2 and R.E.M., but also playing Joy Division and Cure yeah. and Ramones and uh, some, something I, it's, it's always been a thing, even with friends. I've friends of mine who play music and stuff like that too, is this fascination. I'm not sure what it is, but the, enjoyment of playing covers that are not songs people are going to know so you're not giving them you're not giving them the satisfaction of like here's uh back in black by acdc for you to nod your head to it is a cover maybe i'm explicitly saying this is a cover or not but it i don't know what's happening there but there's some deep deep joy that comes from like unearthing a i don't know it's cool yeah, I'll tell you, I know exactly how, what you mean. Back in high school when we were doing that with March Hairs, I think there's, because I think there's an uh, attitude that you kind of have in in your collective, you know, band mind of, yeah, this is Joy Division. Why don't you should know Joy Division? You know, kind of, so yeah. you're also kind of introducing it to a group of people, but there's also probably that like kind of like shitty slash petty like attitude of like why you don't know oh you don't know this you know <laughs> that yeah. that you can kind of like in a sick way like we all can kind of get like get something out of that sometimes i will say that later in life um it's kind of the uh, converse of that because it's a real bummer when you're a touring band and you try a cover out and then night after night uh people aren't really responding to the cover and you're like what was the point of this yeah no i, I think i think even in the moment when you're doing it it's only it's only self-satisfaction and some kind of thing, but the people don't know it. It just might be one of your other songs that they don't also know, right? There is <laughs> even even as I say that, when I go to a show and it's like, oh damn, they're covering this right now. And I immediately have uh pleasure like going through my body on just a chemical level. It's like that's what it gives <laughs> people. It's you know, but there it's some it's something that like works against that, which I think paints a good picture of your band and sets you up as uh, all right, so this band that you just described playing Joy Division deep cuts and uh, experimenting with this music and stuff, opening for 311 in Omaha. And you talked about like a thing having a scene in your town that like incubates artists and everything like that, which I agree is really true. When you say that, I understand that as the venues and bands and people that would go on to be Saddle Creek, but this is really, really early. And so maybe it's some of that, like was 311 part of that? Like what is... Where where do you where does March Hairs and these bands kind of come in and where do they fit in with with that? I think that's cool and yeah. fun and amusing, you know. It's it is fun crazy and, and coincident. It's crazy and coincidental that these. Well, I don't know that it, it's just cool that these two bands come from this place or these two scenes come from this place, you know. This is a a moment of reflection for me because uh, I don't ever think of Three Eleven as being when I say that there's a local music community that helped, um, you know, that helped to offer all of us the confidence uh, to go out and do our own shit. I never think of Three Eleven as part of that. Um, but to really, to be fair, <clears throat> uh, they weren't part of the scene of which I'm thinking. You know, like the the yeah. the more underground. It's funny to say that in Omaha, but there was like more <laughs> of an underground punk scene, <laughs> and and then there was Three. 11 and like the uh, 311 I the way I can kind of like parse the Omaha music scene back then um and I guess even to this day to an extent um 311 was forged forged and was part of and forged 
what I considered more of the bar rock scene. Um, and so back then, and I think even today, there was a, there was kind of like a, there was our music community, which was basically really like the older kids that like ultimately ended up embracing us younger generation, which was super cool. Um, <clears throat> and I hope likewise, we also continue to, for, you know, embrace younger generations than us. Yeah. Uh, and then 311 was doing things where I, I, I could tell all the bands that were the three on that from that side, because they were all 311. It did inspire a ton of music, but it was a ton of shitty music. Uh, I'm sorry to say uh, it was like all of these. bands. I think I mean, seriously, like bring Peanut in here and he would be like, no, I totally hear you, Tim. Like, I agree because it was. 311 inspired a bunch of Omaha bands, like bar rock bands, to um try to be major label bands. Yeah. Because 311, no, really, and listen, I'm gonna give major props now. I've always said this about 311. I recognize that they can be kind of like unlistenable um for a lot of people. They can write the hell. I mean, as a songwriter, as a fellow songwriter, and as a peer of theirs once upon a time, they can write the shit out of a song, man. Yeah. Look at them, they're a fucking top 40 band. Yeah. You know, I mean, they write, they can write a hook like crazy and they're also all insanely technically proficient you know, know. so you know props to 311 in there for the in that way you know like they really it's it's very technically proficient to the point that when i see a thing i'm like oh, that's i'm almost scared of how technically proficient that is like could, <laughs> so your almost inclination is to like reflexively deny it or something like that but but yeah. I think the thing is, you take that kind of thing you're doing on instruments, and you take that ability to to put a melody and a hook together and everything, and you can deploy it well, or you can deploy it horribly, you know. And like there are all these three eleven songs that are just kind of undeniably excellent. And then you have like, <laughs> yeah. what's that song? I'm trying. I I was trying to think of like the worst version I could think of is that song that like crazy town song butterfly. Like you're my butterfly, sugar. It's like. There's a lot yeah. of like rap rocky and reggae type things that you can get into, but like the thing that feels three elevens feels specifically their own in some way. And that one feels like here's the absolute shit version of, of doing this thing, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I can give, I, we can offer more props to three eleven is that they did kind of do it on their, they did kind of end up being their own style or something. Omaha style. That's what they call it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, uh, just because they ended up uh post top 40 they just you know they they found their um they wedged themselves into the uh you know kind of like a band jam jam band touring circuit and yeah. that's kind of a whole other thing that bands like crazy town as you mentioned um yeah, yeah. cannot do you know yeah uh, they can they're just more like imitators i think you know a little factoid that i like stumbled upon the other day about that crazy town song is that like you know how that you know how that like bittersweet symphony that song is uh is a uh, is adapted from like a rolling stones thing and there was like a big controversy around like they weren't getting royalties and stuff and i think now they are mm -hmm. that little riff that little thing in the crazy town song maybe i'll cut I it know in. exactly what it is yeah it's that's that's like a tossed off little moment from a red hot chili peppers song from no well it actually is a red hot chili peppers song okay. it's called pretty little diddy Okay. I'm a real, I'm a real crazy town historian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, but I did grow up listening to Chili Peppers like every normal person did, you know, and...
This is my theory on chili peppers. We are all chili peppers fans. It just, but then like you kind of like similar to like astrological signs, you just like line up, you see like where you line up generationally. So I'm Amazing. mother's milk, um, like uh, blood sugar sex magic cusp, you know, like that's kind of like where <laughs> I, where I exist. And, you know, you talk to people 10 years younger than me and they're going to be more about stadium arcadium or whatever, you know, or my I, wife, even eight years younger than me, she has an affinity for, um, one hot minute, I think it's called. I you know, that's the one that airplane on it. Uh, she I'll, recognized it's not great, but it's also the one that she had. She's she's like blood sugar sex magic one hot minute, I guess. You know, I think I'm right around. I think I'm right around where where she is. And then like Californication was like okay, similar to what you're saying about like 311. It's like these is un these songs are undeniable. Like these are undeniable songs. I think it was more of a like. I was I was early 20s and it just oversaturated the world. And then they mm -hmm. did a little too much, like whatever funk they were doing on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then when I heard that, once I heard like enough times I wanted to die. I just was yeah. done. And then I think Stadium Arcadium, I just remember thinking like, we've had enough. We don't need a double album from you right now. It was like <laughs> if it was a it was an insult. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not doing it. I'm simply not yeah. doing it. And, but, but I think you're, I think you're actually right. It's like just a matter of what, what period you land on. And then also they could give you the like most delicate, beautiful, melodic thing, or the most like staccato funk, like shouting thing. It's kind of mm -hmm. like someone saying they don't like the Beatles. Like if you say you don't like the Beatles categorically, you're just saying something more about yourself maybe, or you're saying you don't like literally like 30 different kinds of music, you know, yeah. there's, yeah, there's a bit there's a table of offerings there. There's something to like there, you know, I know we don't have to go off on um, Chili Peppers much longer than this. I think it'd be better <laughs> to say 311 in Omaha. But um, I did see um, quick tangent. I did see uh, Chili Peppers last year as to speak. Well, on behalf of my wife, when it again, she kind of like had a real resurgence of Chili Peppers as an adult. And uh, I got her tickets to see because she wanted to see John Prashani play. The band was amazing. I thought they were really sending a message because they came out, you know, stadium show, clearly. They came out in the first, uh, like, five, seven minutes was just the three of them uh, just jamming, playing just super. I mean, I was like, you know, as a dork musician, I was like, these guys fucking rule. And yeah. then and then Anthony came out and it became the Chili Pepper. And then it was the whole Chili Peppers thing, you know? But I thought it was like, I thought there was a message there, just like, just like, just, you know, for you little, for you, like pieces of shit out there, you know, like think looking at you, Tim Casher, like we are still a fucking awesome, you know, like we are a major, we are major players and we can play the shit out of a song. And I was like, yeah, totally. You really can. Sweet. All right. Well, I don't have any chili peppers tattoos. If you did, what would it be? The mother's milk, the mother's milk. <laughs> it would have to be something mother's milk. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, sweet. So. All right. Wow. Hello. What kind what's the graceful transition from, from there? <laughs> well, I could probably go back to 311 and uh the scene back then. Um we at March Hairs uh developed like a decent little high school following, um, which kind of makes sense, you know, just how I mean, I, I mean we probably really actually weren't very good, but for high school kids, you probably gave, we got gave off the impression that we could play okay, I suppose. And um but we're high school kids. And so we just ended up with a bunch of high school kids coming out to our shows. It was like, it became a thing to do. So we kind of had to, we developed 
a following that was considerable enough that 311 noticed and started asking us to open for them. So then we became 311's like support act for a while, which was kind of funny. But 311, um, it really was a sight to see back then. I mean, like Omaha really, uh, really gobbled it up so much so that they had to leave and go to LA <laughs> and, and, you know, become 311, become a very big band. They struck me as ready-made perfect to parachute into LA and do do their 311 thing. So legitimately, they were like a pretty, you know, yeah. like whether you like it or not, it was like they were a pretty stellar, well played, well put together band back even back then. Con Connor described you guys in like very early Saddle Creek days while like kind of laughingly as like bratty little shitheads. Were you um, bratty <laughs> little indie shitheads? Were you at these 311 shows like we're playing a show for people, but we're also like making fun of this band and just being bratty little shitheads. Or were you there? What was the feeling in the moment of what was like the calculus in your brain of like, we're playing these 311 shows and 311 is big in Omaha and we're playing them. Well, you know how fast, how your aesthetic and your uh, attitudes change like at lightning speed at that age. That's kind of like what happened. I mean, we were pro probably only, opening for 311 for about a year or so, maybe even less. That's, I don't even know because it also time stretched so much back when you're younger, you know, yeah. like one year was like your sophomore year of high school is like a chapter of your life or something, you know, yeah. is, but, uh, but I will, but it started with us being like, so stoked to just completely beside ourselves that a band is big, big as 311. Like we were going to be playing, you know, when we did, we ended up playing in front of hundreds of kids like really blew us away and we had their first cassette damn it and we loved it um but within a year it, we burned it burned out you know yeah but a year later we were just like oh fuck well all right <laughs> i found i found our graceful transition so that we're in the we're in the early 90s there right mm -hmm. last time we spoke which if you're hearing this you should go to the first episode of this second season of this show tim and i talked about kind of early saddle creek late 90s so we've got that period covered so saddle creek forms and all that we talk about all of that there really enjoyed that conversation so today we're gonna we're gonna leapfrog that into um around like the year 2000 2002 2003 2004 ultimately leading up to um album of the year by the good life the kind of run of like it's a run of important and great albums but also a run of like tell me if i if i'm you think i'm reading this correctly but a run of like songs of like heartbreak and debauchery and drinking and infidelity and like from kind of like album of the year moving back through to some of this on ugly organ to blackout to domestica and does it what what was that time period like that's how it reads in song to me um yeah how, how what was life like then obviously you guys were creating and not only you but like uh the faint and bright eyes and all these bands are creating some unforgettable classic music at that time i think that all of that kind of sounds about right and yeah i mean i think that we were i shouldn't speak on behalf of all of us but some of us were living pretty hard and uh and i think that some of that music as far as i'll at least say you know between like connor and i like a lot of that music was just kind of a reflection of of kind of just like living pretty hard at that at, at that era of our lives of just kind of being young and uh life was just kind of a pretty big party um but that also came with tons of complications and um 
but also, you know, also uh, tons of, um, uh, you know, like alcohol and chemical abuse that um, also makes a bunch of really mopey, depressed people too, you know? So I, yeah, it does seem like a lot of it's a reflection of that. Now you're, you're all touring prior to that, but now you're, you're, there are audience wait, audiences waiting in every town, like full on touring now, right? Like you guys have these Saddle Creeks up domestica and fevers and mirrors and lifted are all out and mm -hmm. I, that strikes me as a period of like your local your little your local little scene local little diy scene is now beyond that and talk about things moving quickly yeah um yeah that that pocket probably of like you know i guess 2000 to 2005 or something was um was uh i think yeah everything moved pretty fast i guess um i think that while it was um happening uh it, it's kind of this more like in hindsight you know i think while it's happening it was just it's just life and you were just kind of going through the paces i suppose to a certain extent but looking back now it's like holy shit yeah a lot of a lot was really going on um at that point i mean i was touring near constantly uh in you know kind of in a in a i, I say that positively that it was just there was like all of it was just very much in demand and you could show up multiple times in a given city and uh and people just keep coming out and like more people keep coming out and it was that was all kind of surreal really and as far as like that developing in all those other cities there was definitely a window a window of time there it probably in that same i don't know time, time frame but probably early 2000 2001 2002 where uh we were developing like pretty good audiences just about everywhere else except for omaha uh and that was a little bit of a laugh for us in omaha we were kind of our own audience um we never really the the stuff that is saddle creek that kind of became those records like or i should say you know those bands um faint sun ambulance uh cursive good life bright eyes uh gabardine whoever else you know um they, we weren't really filling rooms too much you know kind of not at all in the 90s but anyway omaha did catch up in a great way and then um and the Omaha music scene ended up being really cool too. You know, I shouldn't say it was uncool before because they didn't like us, but it ended up being really, um, it ended up being um, big, you know? Uh, and that was awesome. That's kind of one of the things that uh, I feel like we're, I like to say that I'm personally more proud that I'm personally proud of is just um, that by doing all that stuff, we also were able to give back a ton to um the Omaha music community and like help it become something that, and I don't just mean like national headlines, but like the actual like brick and mortar of the Omaha music community. Like we like, we're able to like, kind of like uh, shine a light on it. That's cool. So that's had a, a lasting impact on a scene, a local scene in Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cool. it's, I feel like in 2023, it's kind of back to the struggles of a local music community. Right. But that I mean that a decade ago too. Like it's that's just so common. That's not I don't mean that as an insult. It's just uh it's just is it's just the way any local music scene is. It's a, it's a struggle. The first time that I met her, I was throwing up in the ladies' room stall. She asked me if I needed anything. I said I think I spilled my drink. And that's how it started, or so I'd like to believe. I think it's Blackout, then Ugly Organ, then Album of the Year. This is like three consecutive years. These all come out. We talked about this a little bit last time. These are not just like, here's a handful of songs. That's all That's all this is. These things all have like some kind of bi like binding 
feel or theme or maybe story to them. Does album of the year feel like the most sort of like locked in concept of all of them? Like what did you write track one first and then build a world around, build a world and a story around that. That's all tied together. How did this album come together and, and the kind of concept behind it? It started how any of my records start, which is just starting to um, amass songs, you know, Um, uh, but hopefully somewhere along the way, you start to recognize what you're doing with it or what's going on with it. And uh, I think for album of the year, uh, I was able to catch on to it a little bit sooner, but probably not that, probably not all that soon. Um, A lot of it was, I think still kind of the way that concept albums tend to work for me. Uh, They become conceptualized after the fact. Mm -hmm. Album of the year would be no different, except that, uh, the concept uh, whole is a little more watertight because I think I was I was uh, kind of mentally made abreast of what's going of what I was kind of working toward um, maybe a little earlier on. But a song like Album of the Year, I'm my memory of that is that that was written a little bit later, um, in probably late and late enough into um the writing process that i already uh, had the concept and so i was yeah. able to write a tie i was able to write in that i'll write the album of the year. like i was able to like it sets build the, yeah, the yeah. concept and set the yeah set the scene we make love in the afternoon said chelsea girls in bachelor number two I play for her some songs I wrote She'd joke and say I'm shooting through the roof I say they're all for you too I'll write the album of the year And I know she loved me then I swear to God she did It's the way she bite my lower lip And push her hips against my hips And dig her nails up Is it correct to say that um, this collection of songs goes month by month, starting in the springtime, and and tells the story of a year? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, in 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 kind of loose, but I did listen to it the other day, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, there's there's def- there is like a shift, there is a shift in the in the loose general story that that occurs. Um, so, this yeah, is why kind of, this is why I tried to not like read too much about it and just listen because I I enjoyed this. You get like, what did I write down? I think the first time you you name a month is October, but you're not on you're not on track ten, so you're not starting a thing in January and telling the story of a year. Here's the calendar, like mm-hmm. so so baked into that. You're like sort of like situating yourself in time as this thing plays out, but you get references to. Um, feelings of spring and everything and like something i've thought a lot about since moving up to pacific northwest is like my relationship with seasons and the weather Mm. and everything like that and so it was interesting to feel this feel the record like you can feel this sort of like love and honeymoon phase or attempting to attempting to act out the like feelings of what you (laughs) think will make you be in love or whatever trying and failing but it's at least feeling that way at the beginning then you get you're into fall and winter and it starts to feel debaucherous and secretive and um mm-hmm. everything. And then by the end, you're in this very, very slow process of breaking 
I, like in addition to the to the narrative arc of the what the stories the song tell the songs tell, like I could feel it was like I was like trying to pay attention to the feeling of the year passing and like which I'm from California. It's not a thing I really ever thought about, but like I've thought about a lot here. And so it's cool to listen to that record that way. Yeah. I, it's kind of like broad strokes. I think that's kind of the way I saw, thought about it when I was listening to it the other day. Um, kind of, I was revisiting it after a really long time. I don't, I just, this was just one of the, I've, I've actually been pretty good about revisiting most of the records um, that I've done, but this one, I just never got around to. Uh, and I, I think just because it was more popular. So I just know these songs better. And so it's less interesting for me to hear personally. Yeah. Um, I'm more interested in hearing stuff that's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Or, you know, but uh, yeah, listening to this, I was, it was, it was a good list. It was a nice listen. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, there are certain things that I was able to remember. And even for this, while we're talking about it, I'm, I'm being reminded of is um, a new friend is, uh, is like the second to last song. And it, references the valentine's day party and that was uh, an earlier song i remember us even kind of touring that around um maybe even back as like 2002 or something it makes it would make sense to then record it in 2003 a valentine's day party i didn't think you'd show you don't like making entrances alone. You got a new friend. A song like "New Friend" might specifically had uh, may have had a ton to do with the uh, the way the calendar's laid out. Uh, yeah, because it was since it referenced Valentine's Day, so it has to be February, and since it is on the tail end of the story. Um, as I was recognizing, as the story was kind of like unfolding for me, I was recognizing that it was at the tail end where it's just like, okay, now they've like already broken. You know, it's like, this is a, this is a befallen man story, you know? Uh, and this and the woman's like moved on to somebody else. I was like, that's really kind of, that's really kind of about the end. And so then everything kind of shaped from there, but I kind of, but then you kind of just, things become happy accidents because then as a result, you know, album of the year gets to start in April and what better time to start a relationship, you know, I mean, real. it goes from there. Yeah. That, that slide from like December through February, which shittiest time of year to live in a place that's cold and wet and dark. It feels like it drags on. It's sort of like any charm <laughs> winter had to offer is going away. This is me bitching about seasons again. Um, <laughs> but anyways, the, the, the record, like from inmates to needy to a new friend, you're sort of like, you people need to, you people need to split. This needs to be, it. but, but you, <laughs> but the feeling of knowing that, but still not doing that. And the like codependent feeling of not doing that is very real. And um, by that time, you've also listened to the rest of the record. And so you feel like you're starting to know the people. And when she says, when she, when Jiha sings, uh, yeah, what a heartbreaker in inmates. The way she says, sings heartbreaker, and the way it's like your voice is coming in too at that point in the song. Mm -hmm. So good. So, like, you could hear the sort of like, you think you're so fucking cool. You're so cool. You're so like, fuck you. <laughs> said you'd hurt me. Did you think you'd hurt me? Are you really that cocky? Yeah, what a Yeah, I've been through 
Hachi Ha did such a nice job. Yeah. I, I really liked her vocal performance for Inmates. As that song, as that song Inmates goes on and you join in and you all are singing, I can be dense in this way sometimes, but does it become le- un- less clear who's saying what to who? And it could be either because both are singing. Like I was thinking about it as like, both are saying things now. And it was like fun to try, interesting to try to interpret like the di- the way that that dialogue is working, you know? Totally makes sense to, um, to read into something like that. I thought about that the other day too, when I was, cause it kind of surprised me when my voice, when my vocal comes in, uh, just cause I'm, I've been less familiar with, uh, the, with the track, the, with the actual recording, uh, I really, I think that it has, I think that has to more to do with it being a really long song and uh, feeling at a feeling like you can, there gets to a point where it's like, when does this not become, when is this not the good life anymore? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that was, I think it's really more of a, um, uh, more of an aesthetic decision based around that. Like, okay, well, this is a song that I wrote and these are the lyrics that I wrote and maybe eventually I should show up and um, participate. But really, I don't. Yeah, it's still a hundred percent. The way I hear it, anyways, it's still a hundred percent. This this woman's voice. Voice, yeah. Just want to give a moment for you're a wolf in secondhand clothing. I'm a sheep in a pleated skirt. Good lyric. Really like that. <laughs> Thank <good>. Thanks. <laughs> Did you act out as a child? Were you always crying wolf? Attention start. You try too hard just to get someone to look Now you're the wolf in second-hand clothing I'm the sheep in a pleated skirt It's an awkward form of payback But if it works for you, it works Is that I recognize your off-white lies Still, I lie beside you And that's what really there's a certain element of this that feels to me like it could be Tim Kasher taking some experience he had in life and structuring it out in this way and telling the story. There's another one that could be narrating a whole separate story. Like I saw, it seem I can hear this thing almost as a version of something that could be act could be adapted into like a, a theatrical production or something like that. Almost how much of this, if you want to answer it is you writing songs about a thing you experience and how much of it is you telling a, a, love story that grows and then dies it's convenient uh as is as the bulk of my albums are where there's no um even though there are plenty there are plenty of specifics but they range from so many different um experiences i guess like i the conceit of what this concept was for me was and i this is something i just kind of started thinking about a minute a, a little earlier in this conversation because i thought it was kind of neat the way you would kind of paired up blackout and ugly organ and and then this one and kind of suggesting that maybe this is the culmination of that era of song writing um it kind of makes sense to me it shouldn't really diminish that era diminish that era of just saying oh well we were just really getting kind of partying a lot and getting fucked up and that's what the music's about because clearly that's not really there's so much more going on than that but really a lot of what was going on was just that it was just the next chapter um for me and for us it's kind of like the chapter of your 20s when um that just were really kind i mean it feels silly say that way but can be really painful in the and the um 
the depression that kind of comes with, uh, you know, uh, alcohol abuse and stuff like that doesn't help at all. Uh, but also just the depression and the difficulty of navigating relationships was just like really fucking, hard. it's just like, it's hard for any, anyone. Uh, but I look back now and kind of see a lot of it as trying to, um, trying to, uh, mature, but, right. but having a hard time, having a hard time with it. And, uh, album of the year's idea really is that I was on a bad run of, um, of dating people for about a year and then moving on and, uh, and just feeling really terrible about that. Um, but I think that there's a lot of sincerity in doing that for anybody who's doing that as you're, mm -hmm. as we're young and you're going in the, in your, that's, I guess it's just, yeah, it's like the nightmare of the dating scene, I guess is what these albums kind of it feels, if it, it feels like that. And I think when the way, when you put it that way, this isn't records about getting fucked up or, or whatever, but the backdrop of where the like growth and heartbreak and everything's being felt is often bars and clubs and places with alcohol and, and all of this stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's also just kind of a lot. It's, it's just where it's just the life that we were, that we knew as well, I guess. Um, but yeah, so the album is a culmination of a lot of different, um, of a handful of different experiences I had that I, and so I don't feel like any one, uh, Oh, you know any there's not like any specific ex-girlfriend that has to like carry the brunt of what this album is Like I feel, I really feel like I can envision the the people in these songs on a stage. Like like when it goes from October leaves and um like the the tone and feel of that song and the the gloom that's starting to set in and where it go, leaves off and then hops into lovers need lawyers. Like that feels genuinely like theatrical, like like almost like a darker like bar backdrop. Uh, crumbling love story version of the way like a scene in like a thing that would happen in like Greece or something like oh I'm longing and pining for love this ends cut over to this and it's boom 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 this like it feels it genuinely feels that way to me in a way that I've increasingly enjoyed as I kept listening to it my first response to that is uh that i kind of write i like musicals a lot and i kind of write i have a tendency to kind of write in a musical ease a little bit musical-esque a little bit uh, and i think lovers need lawyers is pretty pretty spot on as far as the chord changes in the and the chord changes in that and the melody that has to be um the way the melody has to like uh 
uh, careen up and down to, on those chord changes. It's very musical <laughs> in a way that a lot of people fucking hate, you know, but not saying like people specifically hate that song, but like people just kind of hate musicals and hate that kind of songwriting, but I love it. And I'm also, I also love Billy Joel, you know, like yeah, yeah. as somebody who's like a very musical songwriter, you know, I, I can see, I can understand you saying you like musicals and that sort of thing while also being one of those people who isn't totally attracted to musicals. But I, <laughs> I, I went to a musical the other day that my wife danced in and, and it was loved it. I <laughs> loved it. Cool. It, was, it wasn't like a, just a production of one musical. It was like a original thing with a, that kind of told the story over a couple of years, but it was nice. exactly what we're describing. It was like, set me up for this one thing so that I can hear like this other, a choir burst out from the background that I was like, Oh mm-hmm. damn, I forgot you guys were back there. And then, <laughs> Do you have, are there any, are there any, uh, favorite musicals of yours? No pressure. I am. Um, no, I mean, for music, musically, I really, um, I love Chicago. Um, as far as, uh, content, I really, really love cabaret, but this, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I, I love Greece. I love West Side a, Story. That's a fun, a fun parallel is, uh, my wife's version of your good life tour getting, getting canceled for COVID was she was in a, in a thing of Chicago that was like supposed to go like it got canceled three days before it was going to start. And so that never happened. And this, this play that we just went and saw was them three years later doing a whole different thing. But the start, the intro, the like overture to start the the production was uh, the intro to Chicago. And then it like petering out and dying. And then the whole play plays out after like that. It was was cool. (laughs) The part, a part in the middle that really got me on this record is when, let me see which songs it was again. It feels brutal but very real oh yeah you're no fool you're no fool at first i was like i feel like that we're changing from first person to third person in ways and then i realized like oh wait we're talking we're bringing like sisters and husbands and cousins <laughs> and brothers into this shit and and the line he's not so bad and he's all that she has is like some ouch but is is exactly the way the world works like you're con- you're not contemplating yeah, just yeah. you and your own relationship in a vacuum together it's like other people seeing other people and other people talking about other people and i saw you love you at the venison having dinner with his ex-girlfriend i asked your cousin if your man's all right he's not so bad So is the plan, will 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 it be like Good Life gets on stage for this tour and starts with Album of the Year and runs it through, or what's the plan? I think so. Oh, yeah, certainly we would certainly feel it appropriate to play front to back. Um, we contemplated uh, maybe starting in January and ending in December um, or something like that, you know, um, just to kind of change up the set list a little bit. But uh you know, I think for people who grew up with the record, that's not the right way to play it. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think there's there's something in, in the idea of not to say that the song album of the year is like all people want to hear. I think it's not that that case. I think it's like sets up this whole album, but it is the most popular song on the record. And I heard this thing that um, I love that Vanessa Carlton song, the, the, the I Walk a Thousand yeah, Miles yeah. song. Making the way she, downtown. Exactly, exactly. But that's one where 
I don't I don't need I don't want to say this in any way kind of way that docks her, but if I was going to the Vanessa Carlton concert, that is what I'd be waiting for. And apparently <laughs> apparently she apparently she played it first and is like, you heard it. Clear out if you want to clear out. The rest of this concert is for people at the Vanessa Carlton concert. Some Whoa. kind of bold, some kind of bold, bold move in that. I think that is a bold move. Um I can't can't help as a songwriter to feel like if I have these people in a room and I have their attention for the next hour, I want to, I want to play them some stuff. You know, like, I know. I want to play them some stuff and see if they like it. It's like, I oh, know. well, if you liked, if you liked a thousand miles, you might try check this one out. But she's probably also gotten burnt by it to the point to the extent where she's just like, I know that they don't listen because there's that problem too. We all know that. It's, it's, it's you. You guys don't have this you guys that's that's one meteoric thing that someone might be able to call her a one-hit wonder you know no i'm not mm-hmm. that that probably gets annoying you know whereas mm-hmm. i don't think i don't think the good life and cursive and you and brought and generally have that so i don't know I'm, no you're right and so i don't even know what that experience is like really it's like she's dealing with like you know like if you're like looking at the stats of vanessa carlton songs it's probably like a thousand miles 280 million plays and then the next song is like you know, 1.2 million plays or something we're, like that. We're checking it out right now. <laughs> 647 million plays. Oh. Damn. And the next one, track one has 19, 19 million. So a thousand miles is track three on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah my, my college dorm, dorm roommate got that and he listens to a lot of music I hated and was generally, and, and, and so, but I'm, but I got a pretty, if I start to like a thing, I allow it in pretty quickly. Like I, I might have like an initial resistance to something aesthetically or something, but loved that record. He'd play that record nice. going to sleep. And that wasn't the type of music. He was like from Huntington beach and loved to like the OC was a new show. And he loved telling yeah. people he was from the OC, like oh, wow. saying it that way. And it's like, come on, dude. But, <laughs> but Vanessa Carlton, love it. Um, album of the year. Have you ever heard of a, this is, here's an aside, but have you ever heard of a, a like kind of cartoon like a it was one of those like adult swim type cartoons called home movies oh uh i'm vaguely familiar with it it's these kids it's these three kids and it looks like kind of this diy cartoon and they're the three kids are making movies so you're getting the story of the three kids but then you get the movie they make and there's one episode Mm -hmm. where they make a movie called movie history and the whole point of that thing is because they're like we're making movie history it's like a zombie movie or whatever it's like we're making movie Mm -hmm. history and so half the thing is like documentary footage asking like how does it feel to have made movie history and it, it's it's really really good thing and that's what that's I, I think there's a there's a thing i love about the the album title album of the year that does that like what what's this this is the album of the year that's what this is yeah it was a it was a bold and cocky move that we thought was just kind of like funny enough just to be like eh. not that it's even a funny album at all but it's just like the I fact that I guess that we could back it up with like that it was actually a concept about a year long relationship and helped helps. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm no, I mean, that is what it is. You can say that. And then if someone's like, damn, you're just going to call your album album of the year and be like, yeah, it's an album about something played out over the span of a year. <laughs> you should listen. <laughs> Do you have any feelings about um, like you make a thing like this and a lot of your stuff has, is hung together with concepts and I'll let you go pretty soon, but uh, <laughs> whatever, music landscape and how things evolve people listening to full albums less often or listening straight through as often, or I don't know, does that enter your mind or your process or anything? Yeah. I, you know, it's really a conversation that uh, is pretty, uh, pretty fairly present every time a record is being 
you know, every time that we're kind of like working on a record, which is, I guess, pretty much always for me. Um, I think about it a lot. Uh, Cursive's on, on one right now that we're <clears throat> kind of mixing. And <clears throat> I keep just going back to this attitude um, that I think is fair which is generationally in also this kind of can, you know, pluck one out as um, just old and crusty and fusty, but uh, I grew up with records. And so that's what I write. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's fine. And um, what's I would, I guess from there, you don't have to be so crusty and fusty about it. Uh, I don't really require that people listen to what I do front to back. I don't yep. get pissed about it. I recognize that people just hear a song they like and they hit heart or, and then they put it on their playlist and that's how they listen to music. Um, I hope that they pick songs that I wrote, you know, like that's the kind of, you just yeah. kind of have to, you kind of just have to roll with those punches, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I, we, I still like the sequence of an album, like what goes on an album and the sequence of an album is still some of the most important decisions I make in my life. And that's like yeah. not a joke, you know, yeah. like it is. It's like you spend a ton of time on this stuff and a sequence is so fucking important. And the fact that it isn't important and that when it gets out into the world, it actually really isn't that important at all. It doesn't really um, it doesn't really diminish it for me. It's like I still know it's super important because I'm still um, because it's important to me. It's important to the band members, the people I'm working with. And it's also important to a smattering, a smaller and smaller smattering of people who still are interested in what the sequence is and want to listen to it in that way, in that fashion. I love that. They're important. They're they're actually the most important. You know, even though I'm very, um, I'm very okay with and accepting of um, the playlist person. Of course, like, I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna prefer the person who listens to an album front to back. It's like the reality is there. You're cognizant of the reality and the landscape and everything, but just you set yourself free with like, this is what I do and what I like to do. And I think it's like, <laughs> not to make this sound like some grand mission or whatever, but I know that it's. I love that. I love that feeling of something just flowing and sequencing in some way that like in addition to the individual songs makes me feel something and the purpose of this podcast is also albums you know it's like it's it's going yeah. it's it's, mm -hmm. it's part of its point and so this is my i feel like in one sense i could describe it as like my little like stance for the the value in that or whatever mm -hmm. really what i actually think it is is like i cut the songs into the conversation because I genuinely think like that can draw someone into the full album. Like, all right, I'm listening to this thing and I'm learning this stuff. And oh, damn, I haven't listened to track seven, eight and nine or whatever of this mm -hmm. thing. And and like when the first season was about Jackson Brown, like I, I listened through most of the Bright Eyes records as they came out because I was in my 20s and stuff. Yeah. But the Jackson Brown ones, I didn't listen when he started singing about like in the late 80s and 90s and things like that. And like I ran Contra mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I wasn't I was a fucking child. And yeah. so, and I thought I didn't like them sonically or whatever, whatever is happening in the eighties to 70s singer songwriters. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact, like making those things and having thing like giving them context and having stuff come in and opened those albums up for a lot of people, including me. And mm -hmm. it's just, it sometimes takes work to do it. That's why it's not the default way people do things, you know? Yeah. I'll add to that, that, uh, that it's good to keep, um, this attitude, this positive, this posy attitude about um, the album, because the album is an art form too. It's not just song, you know, 
song a song is an art form but the album an album is an art form and it's still people are still doing albums thankfully um but we should keep doing albums and we should keep <clears throat> giving a shit about them um i'm a big proponent of film and even though um and even though tv series have become great have been great for 20 years plus now um that's great that's cool but that's a different medium and uh It dry, I, I get a little bit batty um, when people, I feel like more and more people are like watch movies less because they just want to, um, they want to just be, they just want to do TV series, you know, thankfully TV series are, there's a lot of really good ones. So right. people are still are, you know, and, and there's so much beauty to the TV series. Like it's just, a, they're just, it's apples and oranges. I get it. That? So the meat, the medium of a story that's told in an hour and a half or three to three hours long or whatever, you know, that's. That's the medium of film and it's fucking great and I love it and I'll never stop loving it. And I think it's totally comparable. It's actually, it's the same. It's the same with, with yeah. uh, records. I have a hard time taking when bands I like put out EPs and, um, and I've done this myself. I put out EPs, you know, put out EPs or just singles. I'll, I'm like, yeah, you know, like I, I have a hard time taking them as seriously because I'm always like waiting for the album. Yeah. Which is not really right. Probably act the I, right way to listen, but it's like, I can't help it. It's just kind of an, in, just, I, I still put so much weight on the album. Yeah. I, I don't you think it's also possible that like a lot of these huge hit songs that we hear and we're, we're presented them or they, they go off on TikTok or whatever the, the like thing that happens is that we're kind of describing a lot of those songs are also on albums and I would argue that the artist who made it probably also cares about that album. It's not mm -hmm. the artist being like albums are dead. I'm just putting out this one. I mean, it probably in some cases is it's just you, anything has some, like you're chasing money or whatever, but like it's more an ecosystem and maybe even a, uh, a tech incentive kind of, kind of issue more so than mm -hmm. artists have moved away from caring about albums. Like I bet, I bet a lot of these artists like, like Olivia Rodrigo probably cares about and loves that, that Paramore album or whatever, you know, that, mm -hmm. that I don't know, but yeah, long live albums. <laughs> yes, I think, yes. I think they'll, they'll be fine. They seem to be. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to talk about with, with related, I mean, in regard to anything, but also particularly this, this uh, tour around this good life record album of the year. Yeah, one thing that's kind of wild about this tour is that we didn't really consider when we put it together is that this album's long, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 51 minutes or something like that. That's like a big chunk of set. I just did uh, just did a tour with Cursive did, was doing Domestica, and yeah. uh, that's like a 31-minute album. It was a totally different <laughs> vibe, you know? But uh, it'll be cool. I think the songs on the album of the year are quite nice, so I think that it should be... Uh, yeah, it's mid-June, it's mid and these shows are going to start in late July. What's the... Uh... You, you mentioned listening to it the other day. What's the process of prepping for that? Uh, gosh, we back to it being difficult for us to schedule. Um, it's also difficult, been difficult for us to schedule rehearsing. So uh, the band is getting together for like three intense days, uh, mid July in in LA. Um, Ryan Fox and Roger Lewis are going to come out to Steph and I are here in LA, so they're coming out for three rehearsals and then uh and then we have a rehearsal the morning of before the wicker park festival so that's a, i don't know we all live in different places so you got the you got this they're, yeah, they're, they're okay. those songs are deep in you it's a matter of just pulling get having surfacing that i think so that's the right attitude 
I didn't say it earlier, but some of those I was I was listening while doing some stuff last night, and some of those Ryan Fox like slide guitar things that happen sometimes as sort of soloish things, and sometimes mm-hmm. as like textural things. It sounds so good on that record. Agreed. Yeah, he's really got cool. a very he's got a great uh, creative mind. At least it feels good. I found myself going to the Wikipedia page to like see who was playing on each song and everything. And that, <laughs> yeah. that was like a thing that listening in that way, like really jumped off at me. Sweet. So Wicker Park Festival coming in uh, late July and then tour dates after that is the, do you know the, your, the good life site where people can find these dates pretty easily or you? I, you can go to Sal Creek for this for sure. And then let me see. I know that good life does have a website that was, let's see what happens. It probably wouldn't be as simple as no, definitely not the goodlife.com. That's mindful living. That's it, gotta be some is... that's gotta be some kind of like su- substance, uh, like a, <laughs> a nootropic substance you take or something. Yeah, the good life as, as a as an as a band name is not the best. I think it's uh, good. You I mean as far as like it was right. great pre-internet when we named ourselves that. We didn't really have to, oh here it is, the goodlifeband.com. Oh no shit, that's not even it. <laughs> is it another See, I'm band? Telling you, man, it's not good. It's it's a tough it's a tough name to have on the internet. Um thegoodlifemusic.com. Is that it? You found it? Yeah, found it. Okay. Nice. It has okay, great. Yeah, it's thegoodlifemusic.com. And you got a limited edition double LP uh vinyl yes. available there? This is true. You're looking at the right page then. Man, and irritating though. Um, we got to figure some SEO for that because I wrote in the Good Life Band, and the Good Life that website didn't even come up. We're crying out loud. The world we live in right now. I, I was I was just on a trip with some friends reading this. Uh, my like vacation book was like the Chuck Klosterman the '90s book. Um, oh yeah, and fun to read about. Just to read about the the like processing what the internet like the you're getting a lot of music and Nirvana and Tupac and politics and Ross Perot yeah. and all stuff, but then mm. the internet, the like information superhighway internet <laughs> and like the promise of it and the fear of it and the just weird, weird thing to read about now. Yeah. When like what you're talking about, like albums and songs for, and website SEO for your band and whether your band name works in that way and mm. not what you want to be thinking about. It was an interesting to time to I'm 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 glad. I'm happy with um I'm happy with when I was born, I guess essentially uh as far as music is concerned because it was it, it was it's kind of cool to have existed both pre and post that's and to just kind of witness the differences and um to get a chance to experience what it was like you know so as i as i be, as i become an older and older fogey to be able to be like to be able to have been doing it back when you know before it's so that's so real yeah if you need a if you need a book on your on your vacation that might be a fun one he articulates exactly what mm-hmm. you're describing as a lot of it and it articulates oh, cool. a lot of like that 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 landscape change like being cognizant mm-hmm. and aware and actively changing with it i think he describes that like people way younger than us just live in this world people way older than us could be like the internet i'm 70 years old peace out i'm not messing with that Whereas we <laughs> did it, you know, but then also it's talking about like the, like sort of zeitgeist of the nineties and selling out and like the, the, the positive things that came from that in terms of like self-awareness and everything. And then the negatives that came with like 
appearing not to sell out while also kind of doing it. It's like, it's not like Nirvana didn't sign to Geffen and have yeah, videos right. on MTV and play those awards and everything. But like symbolically they were anti that, you know, and even yeah. kind of lived up in a way, but it just was the product of that moment. It was like, there's probably, there is probably some level of burden or self. I don't know. Interesting book though. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Tim. Thank you again so much. I yeah, I thank you. Didn't say this earlier on the thing, but you coming on the series early on, there's no doubt in my mind that that played a big role in in the way the whole thing rolled out after, and I'm really pleased with how it did. And so okay. big, very cool of you, very um, and just appreciative. No sweat. What's your next? What's the next album you're gonna do? Uh, so I'm um, I finished Bright Eyes and I'm preparing it now, but I I think it's gonna be against me. I think I'm gonna do the against oh, me against me discography. That's the thought. Oh, that's I'm sorry. That's what you do. Yeah, you don't do album specific. You do discography. That's right. Yeah, but I, I do. I'll do I'll, I'll, something. I want to do like what I'm doing right now with you is is mm-hmm. I want to allow myself the ability to just do some albums too throughout. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I think I'll I'll center it around like a run of a discography and then just want to be able to talk about even if it's a new album or or, or something like that. It's it's like I love the idea of following this like this arc of someone's career and i'm really mm-hmm. excited to do that with against me yeah but uh it's a really interesting one yeah it's about as you talk about you talk about like societal pressure around selling out and things like that that's yeah yeah and, and that, yeah but then yeah just the ability to just pop in and do some other ones as well and so that's a little bit of what this is and i think that the good life tour and the the like way this album is like an album album in in kind of the ultimate way it was an awesome opportunity to do it Cool. I'm glad. I appreciate you doing it. Thank you, Tim. If you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Kasher, check out After the Deluge on Patreon. If you subscribe there, you'll get a Bright Eyes zine mailed straight to your home, and you'll get every episode of this show early with no ads, and you'll get some extra ones as well. That's patreon.com slash after the deluge. Uh, not only that, you'll find a video version of this conversation with Tim Kasher there right now. And you'll also have a front row seat to the in-progress launch of season three of this show. Thank you for listening.